in Revelation 16, we're going to talk about uh, bowl number 4, 5, and 6. And I want you to understand that here's God again. His desire to see people come to repentance. We live in a laxium, daisio world. Well, we don't want to work at anything. And sometimes we're so caught in what we say we believe that we go no further. And I want you to see that that's one of the problems that takes place here with one of the bowls. Is that all the false teaching is what the people latched on to. And look what's happening in our society. All of our people are latching on to the wrong philosophy or teaching. That even over 50% of the church says they're not sure that that a person is not made to be gay. I mean, it's just coming more and more at us to change our way of thinking, to change our way of which we've been taught and how we are to believe. It's just coming more and more at us. And it's going to keep coming. It's not going to slack up. It's going to become more and more. And as the teaching of false doctrine takes more of a relevant place in the hearts of people, we're going to see people's hearts become harder and harder and harder, or worse or worse. It's going to take place. Because what you're trying to challenge is something where they put so much hope into. And they've chosen to believe this way. They've chosen to accept this style of teaching. They've chosen to go against what God says. And the word anti simply means against. So when you talk about the Antichrist... The Antichrist is against everything that Christ would stand for. It just means against. It's against everything that God would teach. It's against. So when we pick up in Revelation 16, pick up with me in verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat. And they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bow on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues, agony, and cursed the God of heaven. Because of their pain, and their sword, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bow on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way of the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing Miraculous signs. And they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle for the great day of God Almighty. 
Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keep his clothes with him, so that he may not be naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The fourth bow. God uses nature. God uses the sun and intense heat. God uses it to punish men. To bring about sores on their bodies. There was such agony that they would bite their tongues or chew on their tongues. And he says it was intense heat. Now in Revelation 8.12, God did just the opposite. With the trumpet, he shortened the day and blotted out a third of the sun so that it wasn't as hot. But here is the intensity of the heat. And God does that for a reason. He does it for a reason. And the reason is to bring men to that place where they're ready to repent. But what I want you to take note of is this here. And it says, they refused to repent. People became angry over the actions of God. People became angry over what God was doing. And what were their reaction to show their anger? They cursed God. They cursed God. And scripture tells us God's name is what? Holy. We shouldn't use his name in vain. Scripture tells us we shouldn't blaspheme against God. And yet, people today, they continue to build sin against them. By what they say against God. And the thing is, they curse the name of God. People become angry at God. And they curse his name over what he does to them. And God does it for the purpose of bringing them to repentance. But the thing is simply this here. They themselves refuse to repent. Now, to repent is to change, change your mind. Now, catch this, because the scripture is going to tell us that they knew, in a sense, that God was in control of what was going on. So it's not that they're totally ignorant against God, that they don't have no knowledge about God. They don't know that God is a powerful foe. Now, hang on to that word, God's powerful, because Satan's going to do something later on to try to equalize that power. And we're going to talk about that too. Because people wonder, and people will say this, God and Satan just opposite side of a coin. No such thing. Satan is nowhere near as powerful as God. 
We need to understand that. Satan couldn't get in the ring with God. But in our little minds, many people think that way. And this whole process that God has given man a free will, that what we see, and we'll see it better when we go into the area of the thousand year reign of Christ, that how much man has come to use that little statement that Flip Wilson started, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. You made yourself do it because you were not willing to align yourself up with the will of God. You choose that. And oftentimes we choose it. Now understand this. You can be a highly intelligent person and be ignorant. You can be highly intelligent. You can know all the philosophies. You can have gone through all the teachings. And you can have D-D-S-S-T-H, whatever, Reverend, whatever behind the name or before the name. But without a deep understanding of Jesus Christ, you're nothing but a fool. You're just foolish. And it says, they would not repent. Now, go to room with me to Deuteronomy 5.11. Because they curse God. Now, it's like God doesn't have some type of standards for us. And uh, you say, well, I don't believe. But yet, isn't it strange? Watch man's behavior. Man will respect any other name that is called God. Even an atheist will. But when it comes to the name of Jesus, they'll slander it, curse it, he don't exist. Go through the whole thing of trying to discredit or to blaspheme Jesus. But everything else, they don't do. But for some reason, that name Jesus is attacked. And in Deuteronomy 11, he says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuse his what? Yeah. You misuse it, you're going to be held accountable. You misuse this holy name, you're going to be held accountable. You blaspheme this holy name, you're going to be held accountable. And the whole process is that men come to this place, I don't have to reverence God. See that even in the church. That many young people and many mid-age and some older people, when you come into the church, there's no reverence. There's no respect. You walk into a courtroom, a God-made courtroom, and don't take off your hat and see what happens to you. You will be instructed one time, take that hat off. And if that hat doesn't come off, you'll find a sheriff coming to remove you from the courtroom. But you can come in the highest courtroom of all, the church of the living God, 
and you can totally disrespect it. We've come to a place in our culture and society that the church somehow always just follows behind the world rather than the world following behind the church. And we say, well, that's okay. Don't have to take off hats. Don't have to do this. Don't have to talk this way. Don't have to... No. If you go back with Moses and God at the burning bush, Moses had to take off his what? Where have those shoes been? Traveling out in the world, the sheep area, everywhere else. And God said, take them off. For at this moment, in this little bitty area, and I imagine... Moses didn't walk past that tree before or whatever, you know. But for right now, because the presence of God is there, this place is holy. This place is holy. But man no longer recognizes anything as holy or sacred other than just himself. Just himself. And he's made himself like God. And he doesn't have to bow down to God. He doesn't have to worship God. He doesn't have to adore God. He doesn't have to glorify God. Because he's made himself equal with God. And God says, you will not be held guiltless. Go over to Leviticus chapter 24. Here is a Jewish or an Israelite woman married to an Egyptian husband. And the only thing I can assume is that the young son or the son was taught more of the Egyptian gods than what he was taught of the Israeli god. And he misuses or talks about a blaspheme, the god of Israel. Pick up with me in verse 13. Let me get to it. Then the Lord said to Moses, and you can read from 16, from, from verse 10 on down. Then, but he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay hands on his head. And the entire assembly is to stone him, saying to the Israelites, if anyone curse his God, he will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him, whether an alien or native born, when the blasphemer, the name, he must be put to death. Keep that thought as we go back to Revelation 16. Must be put to death. If there's no repentance, and you're going to continue to curse God, you're going to be put to death. Pastor Travis and I, we were coming up the other day, and a car was stopped on the road. Two young ladies behind the car trying to push it on up the hill 
couldn't get it, so we pulled off and we walked back to help them. Had two little beautiful little kids, one year old. But the one mother, every now and then, will let loose of a word, profanity. She, she would use the S word, the F word, and a few other words. Now you're around two kids, one year old. At one year old, they're starting to hear and really what? Formulate their what? Their words. You know? And uh, we're just there talking to them about how beautiful their kids are and getting names of the kids and so forth. And uh, so when the mother got back, I got in the car and tried to start, I said, you're out of gas. So the mother that was there also, she went off and she got some gas and came back. We put it in. And I said, well, I'm hoping the Lord has started. She said, in the name of Jesus. And then... When her daughter got in the car, and she just used another word, uh, and uh, the car started right up, you know. And her mother said, now you need to come to church on Sunday and get your praise on. And I shared with the young girl, you're better than that. James says, Sweet water and bitter water does not come out of the same what? Yeah. You're better than that. And she just gave me a hug and we hugged because she's better than that. But she has to know that she's better than that. And she just, well, it slips every now and then. It slips. No. If the Holy Spirit's in there, he stops it right here. If y'all could read Pastor Brown's mind sometime and the words that God stopped before they get out here. But praise God, there's a policeman in there. And he says, boy, take that blasphemer out and stone him. Now just think today, and this is one of the fears of the world. Because they're so fearful that if Christianity takes control, that they would have to follow all the rules of what the church says and what the Bible says. How many people might get stoned today? If we were to follow this literally, we would be carrying our bags of stone with us for the moment we heard it. Woo! And the whole process is, God says, put them to death. Go to Second Chronicles 32. Second Chronicles 32. Because God takes his name very seriously, whether we take it seriously or not. Whether we see it as holy or not, God does. And he's the one who will always... Honor his name. He's the one. Shenachariv officers spoke further against the Lord. God and against the servant Hezekiah. Verse 17, the king also wrote letters insulting the Lord. Shenachariv wrote letters doing what? Insulting God. 
Don't say things that insult God. Don't say things that you're going to say what God can't do in a very arrogant way. And he says, boy, he wrote this letter and he's saying, boy, uh uh-uh, God can't do that. We're going to slaughter your God. We're going to slaughter you. Your God can't stop us. And just going on and on with it. The king also wrote letters insulting the Lord, the God of Israel, and saying this against him, just as the gods of the people of the other lands did not rescue their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not rescue the people from my hand. Now, what was he accustomed to? What was he used to doing? He was used to destroying people who didn't know the real God. He was used to picking on people and fighting with people who didn't know the real God. One thing Christians need to get hold of is this. The battle is not mine, it's who? It's God. And you need to understand, God says, those that fight with you, don't worry, I'll fight with them. Let God be the one who destroys the one or breaks the one who hurts you. Don't you try so much to defend yourself. Let God step in there and let him do it. And he says in verse 18, Then they called out in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to to terrify them and make them afraid in order to capture the city. They spoke about God of Jerusalem as they did about the gods of the other prophets of the world. The work of men's hands. And King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Ammon, cried out in prayer to the heavens above this. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the leaders and the officials. He withdrew to his own land, disgraced. And as you go ahead and read this, even when he went into the temple of his own God, his sons took their swords and destroyed him. God will always intervene if you trust him. You hold to him. It may look like you're losing the battle, but let God fight the battle. Let God intervene. Let God do it. Let God work it out. The biggest problem we have is getting ourselves out of the way. That's our biggest problem. But because of what he said about God, God sent an angel to destroy his mighty men, to destroy his army. God sent him. Now go back to Revelation. Because, see, here are these folks standing up here, knowing that it's God who's in control over the plagues, but they refuse to repent and glorify God. They are going to go ahead and curse God because the scripture in verse 9 says, They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God, having no fear, no respect, Even though they are seeing and witnessing what is taking place, still they have no fear. 
That's a powerful self-will. That's like the little child who stands in front of the father who is four or five times bigger, but he's going to stand in front of the father with a starch. Knowing in one mind he can't really fight with dad. But he's going to... I used to have a little thing when my kids would do that. I'd make them smile. And you get a whooping if you didn't smile. You had to put a smile on your face. Now, I couldn't see what's going on on the inside, but I was going to see what was going to happen on the outside, and you was going to smile. Even though you didn't like what I said or what, you were going to smile. Because even if we don't like what God's doing, we need to learn how to rejoice in it. Because he's not going to do all the things that always please me. But because I know he means me well, and that he means me good, I'm going to smile. I'm going to smile. Now, they knew who was in control. But repentance here is to think differently about God. How many of you have thoughts about God that is not scriptural? You have thoughts about God that is not scriptural. How many of you have this thought? Well, if I help myself, God just might help me. How many of you have the thought, God is love. He won't send nobody to hell. How many of you have the thought, God knows my heart. Even though I'm in the midst of sin, he knows my heart. And he won't judge me. He won't punish me. He knows my he he knows me. You right, he knows you. That part you got right. He really does know you. He knows that the heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can know it but God? And he knows the wickedness that can flow out of the heart. It's not what goes in a man that defiles him, it's what? It's what comes out of a man that defiles him. God really does know. But ask yourself. What thoughts do you have about God that are not biblical? Be backed. And you can't back them biblically. Erase those thoughts. Because those are thoughts that have been placed into your mind by the enemy and not by God. And these folks have thoughts in their mind about God. That they're not willing to erase or correct. And therefore, they curse God. Because they have their own belief system of how they're going to think and what they're going to do. They understood the power of God because God demonstrated the power. From the time of the seals, the trumpets, and now the bows. It's not that they were not aware of the power of God. And who's releasing this power? They were aware of God, not that 
He is not known because he's known, but they're not willing to accept him, to acknowledge him. How do I know that? The scripture says they were not willing to even glorify him. You see something that is beyond the capability of man, and you won't even acknowledge it. And glorify him. They chose not to acknowledge him as God. Someone far greater than this beast. Someone far greater than the false prophet. Somebody far greater than the Antichrist. Somebody far greater than Satan. And you're not willing to acknowledge. And in 1 Timothy 4, 2, it says the conscience is seared. It's insensitive towards the things of God. Now look what's happening to our homes, our families, our children, and our society. We are losing a sensitivity towards God. The moment you hear the name Jesus or God, what riles up inside you sometimes? Even it's affecting Christians. That sometimes, boy, you don't want somebody to say something out of place at the wrong time amongst your friends because you might look like a Christian. You're one of those undercover secret agent Christians that you're dealing with your friend. Thing is, they don't never know the that you really love the Lord. And God wants you to be upfront, transparent, and that people know. You shouldn't be a secret agent. You shouldn't be a secret Christian. You shouldn't be ashamed of the one who has saved you. And yet, the conscience is seared. Test your children with this. What do you think about God? And listen to him. Really listen to him. What do you think about Jesus Christ? Listen to him. It will tell you if there is a knowledge or understanding of God in the mix of the mind. But if you don't hold those conversations with them, you don't know where they're at. And you want to hold that conversation with them, not to chew them out, not to tell them, well, you know better, but to be able to have conversation with them. Yeah. Everybody believes there's a God. Now tell me about this God that you believe in. What kind of God is he? Give me some of his characteristics. How might he act in this situation on your behalf? Or how might he act if you fall into this problem? What might God do for you if you found yourself in this situation? Paint that situation for them. Hear them if they will say, my God is strong enough to deliver me. That, that, that my God can make a way out of no way. That, that my God can give me favor with my enemies. That my God is able to make me victorious 
No matter what's coming against me, I know I can defeat it in the name of Jesus. I know I have lust problems. I know I have this kind of problem. I know I have a fire mouth with this problem. But I believe because I believe in God that He can empower me to overcome that. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. But you gotta ask the question. You gotta get into their minds. Because if you're not getting in there, believe this, demons and Satan is. Some demonic force is. The God of this world is teaching them. And you got to find a way to get in there also. And do battle with the thoughts. To do battle with how they think. To do battle with what they value. And there's nothing wrong with saying to your kid, what do you value? Do I ask you that question, Mike? Yeah. To understand what does he really value. You know. And the thing is, is to always be answering those questions. When I go visit my Gus's kids, one of the things we're going to do, we're going to take a walk. <laughs> and while we're walking, I ask them questions about God. And we talk about God. You know. So while you're out walking with your children or your grandchildren, it's a good time to just talk. It's a good time to just use nature as illustration of God and His power. It's a good time to even ask them, boy, what do you think about staying on the vine? Are you on the vine? Are you getting your Nourishment from the living God. What does the vine represent to you? What does the tree represent to you with the arms going out and the apples are on it, the oranges are on it? What does that represent to you? See, you paint that picture. And see, if that's an orange tree, it has its trunk, it has its roots out here, and all the nourishment comes to that and flows to that apple or flows to that orange or flows to that pear or flows to those grapes. If Jesus Christ is my foundation, my roots, my trunk, oh boy, all my nourishment comes through who? Through Him. Use it. Get in their mind. Because Satan is... And that's why these people are where they're at. Because Satan gets in there. Now, people choose to think what they want about God. The thing with us is to battle that. It's to battle that. Because, see, as you deal with the thinking of people and what they think about God, you want to correct that thinking if it's not biblical. If it's not scripturally founded. You want to be able to challenge it. You want to be able to help change it. You want to be able to correct it. But you got to be in there at it. And he says, yeah, people will think what they want to think about God. And we see that in our society all over. People have their own thoughts about God. People have their own belief system about God. you got to get into your children's minds and how... People, we're in these last days. And in these last days, 
If you just look at society, the God of this world keeps kicking out the one who created this world. He wants it totally where people will not even acknowledge Jesus Christ, no matter what's going on. And he, he goes a little further. Clock stop. And uh, clock moves faster than I wanted to move at time. In the 19th, in that 10th verse, says, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. What is God doing there? God is doing something. And what is he doing? He's attacking the throne of the beast. Why would he attack the throne of the beast? When you can attack the very heart of the authority of something, you have just proven you're more powerful than that. Then attacking the perimeter. Attacking the perimeter doesn't do anything really. But when you can hit the very heart of it, that's what World War II, what ended World War II, we were able to hit the very what, in a sense, the very heart of Japan. And they were ready to surrender. When you can hit the very heart of something, where the authority is at, and that authority cannot repel your power, it shows forth something. And he says, boy, he attacked the very throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His kingdom is plunged into darkness. Now, Darkness is to make blind or blind-minded. That even his followers, in a sense, are blind-minded now or in darkness and confusion. Because, see, now the question even comes up, well, we're following them. Doesn't he have more power than him? And that's the thing I told you to keep in mind when we use the word miracles and so forth. Because Satan comes right back with a counter miracle. Because we're so stuck. And this is where you cannot be stuck at. You cannot be stuck on signs and wonders. Because signs and wonders will deceive you. People always want to see something great of God. The greatest thing that you have from God... It's his word that says he loves you and that he died for you and that he demonstrated his love on the cross for you. His word. His word. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 9 through 12. He says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kind of counterfeit, what? Miracles. But understand, the, the miracle is what? Counterfeit. Now, it doesn't tell us what kind of great signs that these evil spirits that are going to be released, what kind of great signs they do or miracles that they do, but they were to counterfeit whatever God was doing. 
in order that people can have some type of self-confidence, that people could believe that what they were believing is as equal or not more powerful than what God is. It was to give a false security. And he says that they will counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. And in every sort of evil and this and decisive and deceives those who are perishing. Every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They refuse to love what? Let me go a little further. When you disbelieve God in anything, you're going to suffer on the long run. Believe God in the most difficult times of your life. And let God position you just to see him work. Don't run from the boogeyman. Don't run from your assumptions. You believe God and you hold to what God says and you let God work. And he says, they perish because they refuse to love the truth so he's so to be saved. For this reason, because now this is what I think is going to take place in Revelation 16 also. He says, For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. That that takes place here because they will not believe what they're seeing. They will not believe what they're hearing about God. They refuse to. They will not repent. They curse God. They will not turn. And God gives them that freedom then to believe a lie. That brings about their own destruction. Now, the strong will is demonstrated here. They curse the God of heaven. Back to verse 10. They gnawed their tongues in agony. And squeezed and chewed on it. Repent of what they have done. They had done wrong. Turn with me to Revelation 9.20. Let's look at a little bit of the wrong that they're doing. 9.20, just to refresh your mind. Because he says, the rest of mankind, after the seals, they're going through the seals. He says, boy, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of the works of their what? Of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver, bronze, stone, or wood, or idol that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their magic arts or their sexual immorality or their can we get so far into sin that we won't repent even though we're seeing the right thing 
we won't turn from it. And that's where they have gotten to. They've gotten to that place that they themselves would not repent or turn from the wickedness that they were doing. Understand this. Wicked people can get to a place to believe that they're doing the right thing. Let me illustrate it this way. I'm a drug dealer. That's my job. My job is to make money. Why am I making money? For I can survive. So I'm going to bring, at lunchtime, a 50-cent piece of crack. I want to sell you 50 cents worth of crack. Do I care about her? Am I worried about her? Am I concerned what the crack will do to her? No. Only thing I want is what? For what purpose? That I might live the way I so desire to live. I can be so warped up here so mentally ill and greedy and have the wrong vision. And guess what? We even got a way of putting a new word on it. Pharmacy on the corner. Pharmaceutical, having a pharmacy set up on the corner. Selling out of my pocket or my little brown bag. And I can take care of any of your ills your pain, and even put you in a different dimension if you want to get there. And really don't care. That my wickedness, that I become so wicked, so sinful, I don't care about the effects upon the other person. Let me illustrate it again. Men who go about having a child over here, a child over here, and a child over here. One, do they care about the young girl? Do they care about the child? Who are they caring about? So their sin got them so enwrapped that they're so deep in it. They had no sensitivity of what that child might go through without a father. They have no sensitivity of the mental thoughts of that child without a father. They have no sensitivity of how this woman might see herself after he walks out. And don't care. That's being so involved in sin and wickedness that I don't care who shows up. You're not willing to change. And that's where these people are at. They're so involved in their immoral lifestyle. They're so involved in their murderers. They're so involved in what they're doing. They don't care. And God shows up. Boy, I'm not getting as far as I thought I was going to get. Let me jump real quick and we'll just rehearse a little bit of it. Review a little bit of it next week also. Jump down with me very quickly. Because in 14, it says, 
and 13, it says, Then I saw these evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of false prophets. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. And they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of the God of Armageddon. Now, they're so engulfed that they go out to deceive these kings with these signs and these wonders. Go to Luke 16 with me and we'll close there and pick back up. Luke 16. Pick up with me in verse 27. Because see, oftentimes we get so caught up with signs and wonders. And God is saying, I've given you something much more precious than signs and wonders. But see, Satan knows that in the word of God, there is eternal life. If I can keep you out of the word and keep you believing the way you want to believe. See, you can believe and you can think of all the right things about God per se and go to hell. Because you have not followed the instructions of God. Until we learn how to follow the instructions of God, we're in a very peculiar place, very dangerous place. And it's not about signs and wonders. Here's God doing his signs with the sun. Then it says, boy, these three evil spirits, they go out and they do great signs and wonders. What are they doing? Matching God with signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Come to verse 27 and 16 of Luke. He answered then, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. If I were to send somebody from the dead, if I raised them up and sent them and they're knocking on your door, you still wouldn't believe. You wouldn't believe. If I sent your aunt to your door that died 25 years ago, you still wouldn't believe. You'd be trying to figure out, how did she get here? And he says, Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Now, where was the person's security at? Send somebody who they know they had died to them, and they will repent. So, we don't need this. We just need signs and what? Wonders. And God says, you don't need signs and wonders to believe in and trust in. What you really need is my word. And that my word that proceeds from my mouth is truth. 
For I am not a man that I should lie. That what I speak is truth. And that you're willing to accept my truth no matter what your eyes might see. That you're willing to believe me above everything else. And therefore he says, yes, they have Moses and the prophet. He said, he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not listen to my word. They will not be convinced even if someone from the dead. We wouldn't believe. We wouldn't believe. But somebody said, well, I believe because Jesus Christ was brought forth from the grave. What tells you that? God's word. God's word. God's word. And the individuals here were not willing to accept God's word. And therefore, they're acting off of signs and wonders. And guess what the church really gets caught up today sometimes? In signs and wonders rather than the word of God. We get caught up with the word, boy, prophetess and prophet. Oh, they said this. They spoke a word of knowledge. Get back into that word. <laughs> I'm not saying, boy, it could not happen. But what is said should align with what? This word. Not signs and wonders, but the word. But the word. And remember, they would not repent because of their own hardness of their own heart. There are people you're going to witness to that will not accept Jesus Christ because of the hardness of their own heart. But I can't challenge you enough. In this age in which we're living, but we know not when Christ is going to come. And we'll pick it up next week some. For he said, not the next week, but the following week, that, boy, he comes as a thief in the night. In other words, what he's saying, I'm going to come when you are not expecting me to come. I'm going to come when you really haven't planned it and marked it on your calendar. I'm going to show up. Are you ready for him to show up? Are you ready for him to show up? Are you praying, Lord Jesus, come quickly? Or are you praying, Lord, hold on until I get some things straight around here. For the scripture says, be ready. Be ready. Are you getting your house in order? Getting your life in order? Are you ready? Be ready. Father, we thank you, Lord, that the challenge is unto us. That, Lord, we repent of our sins and we constantly are warning other people that, Lord, you're coming. You're coming. You're coming very soon. And that, Lord, that we fight through the hardness of the heart. For, Lord, we don't see the heart of men and women. Only you see their heart. You're the only one who knows who you have turned over into a reprobate mind. We don't know that. All we do is see their sin and their wickedness and Our desire is to see them saved. And Lord, may we be a people who are willing to witness to the most wicked person, the most sinful person, the most ungodly person. Because Lord, as Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. All of us are. 